Hi, everybody, and welcome to Diane and Langdon, the podcast in which we analyze various forms of media. We are continuing with Full Metal Alchemist, the 2003 anime adaptation. I am Diane. I am an archaeologist based in D.C. And I'm Langdon. I am a comedian based in D.C. So today we're looking at Full Metal Alchemist, episode 15, the Ishval Massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, just a quick content warning at the start. We are going to be touching on the topic of suicide a bit in this episode. It comes up in the actual episode itself, so it's going to naturally feature in our analysis. We understand that that may be sensitive for some listeners. So if this is not something that is for you, then we just suggest that you tap out, skip this episode. That's all. So the story so far, uh, our main characters are Edward and Alphonse Elric. They are... 14 and 15 years old, they are brothers, and they are alchemists. Mm -hmm. When they were very young, they attempted a human transmutation to bring their mother back to life. And in the process, uh, it didn't work. And in the process, (laughs) you're like, that's an understatement. Wow. (laughs) Edward lost an arm and a leg, and Alphonse lost his entire body. So in today time, Edward has a prosthetic arm and leg. They're very advanced prosthetics called Automail, unique to this universe. Uh, Alphonse is just a suit of armor. His soul has been bound to this old suit of armor they found in their dad's garage. Uh, and he's just a robot boy. <laughs> uh, and they're looking for a philosopher's stone as a way to get their bodies back. This is a kind of mythic object that should theoretically enhance an alchemist's ability. Yeah. Edward is a state alchemist, which means that he works for the military, who also runs the country. They're the government as well. Um, and he is the youngest state alchemist ever because he got his certification... When he was 12 years old, now he's 15. He is the eponymous full metal alchemist. Yes. Their kind of surrogate father, well, I guess Edward's superior officer, <laughs> uh, Roy Mustang, uh, he is a colonel in the military, and he recently gave the boys a tip about a man named Dr. Marco, who used to be a state alchemist, but deserted the military, and who may have information on the Philosopher's Stone. Um, Roy Mustang is also a state alchemist himself. He is the yes. flame alchemist. He snaps his, he wears special gloves, snaps his fingers, fire happens. Edward and Alphonse tracked down Dr. Marco to a small, uh, very rural, not even a town. It's like, like an unincorporated area. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and so they tracked Marco down to this rural area. On top of all of this, the government and the military, uh, Figures who have only been identified as big wigs have pressured the Fuhrer, King Bradley, to move the seat of government from the central region to the more backwater eastern region because there's a serial killer, uh, Scar, going around murdering state alchemists. Yes, he has murdered, well, he murdered five state alchemists and then by the end of last episode he had murdered nine state alchemists off screen and then he also murdered one more state alchemist. Um, so last episode, the Elrics found Marco, Dr. Marco, and he had a philosopher's stone or a redstone. It's really unclear. Uh, Boss Gron then appeared and found the Elric brothers. And then Scar found all of them. Um, Mm -hmm. and he doubled his kill count while he was at it. So he was at five the episode before last. And then he killed like four off screen. And Mm -hmm. then he kills Boss Gron. It's iconic. No yeah. warning just happens to you. Not telegraph. But he doubles it. He doubles his kill count, which he has had for the past three years. Like, he started working three years ago, you have to understand. And he doubled it in 24 hours. This man has some fucking work ethic. I like how you say started working. Like, he got out of college and he immediately started killing state alchemists. You know what? Sometimes. He didn't waste any time. <laughs> All right. 
Um, there are no gaps in his resume. No, absolutely not. Oh. So after Scar killed Boss Grand, the boys escaped from him, but Scar found them again. He's really good at finding people. He's like a bloodhound. And except for those then, three years where he couldn't, <laughs> find, three years where he couldn't find a single state alchemist. Um, but Scar, um, but then Armstrong, who we find out was sent by Maze Hughes to watch over the boys comes in and saves the boys and he and Scar fight. And then at the end of the episode where we leave off, Edward has a philosopher's stone in his hand. He has the MacGuffin, the thing he has been searching for the entire series. And he gives it back to Dr. Marco, telling him you can use it for the people of this town as if Dr. Marco can even fucking continue to live in this town after the military's found him. He's a wanted man. He's a fugitive. (laughs) Um, but this town that we're in, by the way, just to really drive this home, is a very pastoral, provincial farming community. It's very rural. It's very small. Mm-hmm. The sun is shining on the boys. They're safe-ish. Yeah. Roy Mustang and Mays Hughes, as far as we know, are still sitting in a bar. <laughs> and that's where we leave the last episode. And I want to... I definitely want to emphasize that idea that they were safe. Because that's definitely, like, you feel like at the end of that episode, they got away and we're good. Yeah. Yeah. This episode starts in the same tunnel that Armstrong and Scar were left in. Well, that's debatable. Well, it is debatable. Um, (laughs) We'll get to that later. Uh, Armstrong and Scar are fighting in this tunnel. Um, They kind of repeat a couple of Armstrong's lines from the last episode. Like, if you're an agent of God, try passing God's judgment on me. And this is the Armstrong brand of alchemy. It's been passed down for generations and generations and generations. Uh, he rips his shirt off and flexes and sparkles. Uh, it's it's wonderful. It, it is. His, <laughs> that's probably really the best, most concise way of describing it. It's, it's his, his thing. thing. <laughs> uh, and it's great. I love it. Uh, Scar is basically trying to blow him off. He really, he's like, I'm, I, I will deal with you after I take care of Full Metal and the Crystal Alchemist, which is what Dr. Marco used to mm-hmm. be called. But Armstrong is giving him problems because he's not just an alchemist. He's also a big, strong man. He's huge. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's, he's good at hand-to-hand. So he's giving uh, Scar some trouble. Mm-hmm. In their fight, Scar's sunglasses fall off. And Armstrong notices that he is Ishvalin. Uh, and we'll get into what that means in a moment. But he can tell because he has red eyes. And he knows that the Ishvalins worship a god that forbids alchemy. And he gives us... Uh, Kind of a, a, a very quick definition of the three stages of alchemy, which are comprehension, understanding what something is, deconstruction, taking it apart, and reconstruction, putting it back together differently. Um, which I believe the original mangaka, Arakawa, wrote into the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. yeah three stages, yeah. yeah. So that's a very simple way of looking at it. We leave the fight still with them going at, at each other, and Scar says that he... At one point, he says that he only does what his arm tells him to do. And we know he has this tattooed arm that they've been kind of seeding mystery about for a bit. It clearly controls his mind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. More, more specifically, so comprehension, deconstruction, reconstruction. Basically, Scar's thing that, that's weird to alchemists, and the reason that a lot of people don't immediately recognize it as alchemy, is he doesn't follow through on the reconstruction phase. It stops after the deconstruction. Right. So that's why a lot of alchemists will see and be like, what, what was that? Yeah. Rather than be like, that guy's doing alchemy, you know? Mm-hmm. That scene takes us to our intro where Alphonse says the line he always says about equivalent exchange. Um, we get the intro song, Ready, Steady, Go, uh, by 
French name that I can't pronounce. La Consciale. Um, and we come back into the episode, which remember, the cliffhanger from last episode wasn't a cliffhanger at all. It was a resolution. It was Edward giving Dr. Marco back the Philosopher's Stone and saying, we're going to keep moving. In the pastoral rural sunshine. Yep. So we pick up in an urban area, um, which is definitely mm-hmm. not the same place as last episode. It is raining. The Elric brothers and Marco are running and hiding through the alleyways mm-hmm. and ducking behind things. And they go up to a restaurant and they like run up to a table where there are patrons sitting. And the patrons yeah. look at them like, dude, what? why are you here? Um, and they have Marco duck because there's like a military convoy going by in this urban area. That's not where we left off last episode. And they ask the waitress if they can use the back door. And she's like, what? Yeah, her face is gold. It, it's, <laughs> it was the same face I was making. <laughs> but then... The Elrics basically tell Marco that there is a whole central, like, entourage in the East region. And as they're running, they come across some kids who are playing soccer in an alleyway. And Marco's like, you know what? I've had enough. Scar, Scar that guy, he'd, he'd be right to kill me. Like, mm-hmm. we're good. So we leave them for the moment. And we will definitely get back to them. I think most of the episode is in that little alley. Um, we come to the street where there's this big hole, which is... Based on the events that follow, ostensibly where Armstrong and Scar were fighting. But it's a big hole in the street, like into the sewers under the roads. Mm-hmm. Roy we Mustang see... and Mays Hughes have left the bar finally. We, yes. we know this because they're there. They are, once again, ostensibly sober. <laughs> but maybe not. Um, Remains to be seen. But... To your point, that means that they left the bar and traveled to the city, which took at least one day because the Elrics left central, which took at least several hours because the Elrics left central or in the East evening city. and arrived there in the daytime. And we don't know how many days passed in between. Right. So either way, it took the whole night by yeah. train. So it's crazy that, that Mustang and Hughes are here to begin with. Right. Without establish- giving us any other way to establish the passage of time. They haven't given us anything to... And they've been bad at it from the beginning. They have, yes. They're very bad at establishing passage of time and establishing traveling times. Yeah. It's like Game of Thrones I'm in the thinking, seventh and eighth seasons. I'm th- you're going to hate that I'm reminding you of this. I'm, I'm thinking of that scene with Siren where like the cage falls on her and then she's running in the street. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it, what happened in between, guys? But you anyway... Have to show yeah, they, this they, means that also... Armstrong and Scar have been fighting for a while as that's well. That's the alternative, yeah. It's, like, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, the whole Stang gang is here, in mm-hmm. fact. Um, we see the man named Breda digging up Armstrong. Uh, and Maze Hughes kind of drops into the tunnel, and he confirms that Boss Grand is dead. But he does this in, like, the most dickish way possible. Someone's like, so did Scar really kill Boss Grand? And his response is translated to something like if the iron blood alchemist survived that then he could survive being turned into ground beef and it's like what the just say he's dead dude yeah um (laughs) it it also should be really really scary that boss grand is dead because Mm -hmm. he is he is reportedly the most skilled hand-to-hand combatant in the Amestrian military yeah so him being dead is like terrifying that's really bad not like you should make jokes about it at all but Maze Hughes, again, seems very nonplussed by this. He does confirm that Scar killed him. And Alex Lewis Armstrong shares... This is how the, end, the scene ends, is with Alex Lewis Armstrong 
sharing the information that Scar is Ishval and he has those red Ishvalan eyes. In our next scene, we see Scar standing in an alleyway alone. In the next scene, the Elrics and Dr. Marco... <laughs> the next scene, the Elrics and Dr. Marco are back in that little alleyway and they get to the topic of the Ishvalan massacre. That really is all we get of Scar, guys. That's it. <laughs> Just in case anybody was like, is, is this disc skipping? No, no, that, that's all you get is he's standing in an alleyway alone and then we get an actual scene. The boys and Marco, the topic of conversation turns to the Ishvalan massacre, which is what Alphonse calls it. We learn that Ishvalans are a persecuted ethnic and religious minority in Amestris. They're monotheistic. They only worship a single god called Ishvala and they are identifiable by their dark skin, red eyes, and in the manga and in Brotherhood by their white hair. They don't have, they don't all have white hair in this. Yeah. And Alphonse says that there was a rebellion for independence. Mm-hmm. So this is, so the this, way it's delivered is this is, this is what Alphonse and Edward would have learned about it in school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the propaganda. This is the popular narrative pushed by the, by the country. Right. And this narrative is that the Ishvalans started a war for their independence and there were many casualties on both sides. But Marco says that it wasn't a war. It was a massacre. It was genocide. Mm-hmm. Really. Um, and they watch these kids play, and the scene fades to Ishval when Marco was there in the military. Yeah. We learn a little bit more about their culture. They have very strict beliefs, and one of those beliefs is that alchemy perverts the world given to us by God. Uh, which is why Scar stops at deconstruction, because God, to reconstruct is to make oneself God, basically. Well, there's another reason for that, but continue. Fair. Maybe not in the, this anime. Oh, maybe not. <laughs> I don't uh, like that. We see a scene where an alchemist goes to Ishval and demonstrates alchemy, basically turning some stones into a pot. And we see one of the Ishvalans kind of break out of the crowd and beat up this alchemist and get arrested. And I, that's the scene's really odd. It, yeah. it seems really odd to me that someone would see alchemy and be like, I'm going crazy. I gotta kill this man. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, it's kind of like what we've said before. Like, Sometimes they go places and people are like, alchemy? What's alchemy? And it's like, the, no, the, no. Right. But the thing that I get, that I always got from the manga with Ishval, was that the people were just kind of like, oh, alchemy? Yeah, it exists. We don't do it. We just, we don't, right. we don't touch that. That's not for us. Right. That Thank seems, you. That you seems can keep be, it. It's not for us. That seems to be the opinion of most non-alchemists. Yeah. To be honest. Um, even Maze Hughes later in this episode. <laughs> uh, but basically what happened, it's not... So much that the Ishvalans started a war for their independence. There was a very specific act where an Amestrian officer shot a child, an Ishvalan child. Yeah. And that is seen as kind of the inciting incident for, for the whole conflict. Right. For a seven-year war, which uh, they say involved the whole of the East region. We'll get there. But then Bradley, toward the end of it, sent in the state alchemist to basically engage in this mass annihilation campaign. Um, We see a whole lineup of state alchemists. It's very cool, guys. Don't look at explosions moment. They are, there's an explosion in the background. They're all walking toward the camera with like their heads down. They look real determined. And we see Mm -hmm. Roy Mustang. And we see Alex Louis Armstrong. And we see Boss Grand. And we see uh, this other alchemist named Zolf Kimbley. And we see Shino and Sasuke from Naruto. And we see some other state (laughs) alchemists that we haven't met. 
Roy is a baby in this scene. He's real little. He's got baby foosh and he's got this short hair and he just, he looks real little. It's very, like, it, he can, is. He's very young in this I moment. I can picture but, the two alchemists that you're talking about. Yeah. You're it's right. Shino you're and right. Sasuke. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. But also, the holiest region, the holiest region was involved because we don't see fallout in other areas of the East. Like, it, it feels very removed from Risenbull, which on a right. map is supposed to be pretty close to Ishval, but it's still pretty yeah. removed. Like, yes, Winry's parents died, but they didn't die by being in Risenbull. They died because they left the safety of this small Amestrian town yeah. to go into the thick of it in Ishval. I just feel like you would see more signs that these people have lived a life directly touched by war if the entire East region was torn apart by this conflict. Yeah. So you would see things like you know, they would hear an explosion or a siren and people would just be like, all right, let's get to the bunker. Um, like just bomb prep. Or you would see evidence of rationing. Trisha wouldn't have collapsed surrounded by three bags full of groceries. Yeah, if, <laughs> yeah you're probably If there right. was actually a war uh, going on. Sorry. I do want to point out though that, the, that when we see the kids here, all the kids are like dirty. They're like covered in mud and they're playing in like debris, like fallen. It looks like a building was demolished and there's like broken fence everywhere. Okay, so they demolished a building and the kids are playing in mud and it's raining. But that's what I'm saying. If if they're trying to signal that the whole East region was affected by the war, it's not working because it's the only time they've ever attempted to and do that. And every other building around brushing, it is right, fine. You can brush it off as it's just a demolished building. Because and some every other fence. building around them is fine. Right. So, yeah. Uh... Anyway, Marco was kind of rebellious even in the beginning of this war. He didn't really want to involve the Philosopher's Stones. And we know this because we see this scene that occurs in a tent. There are war maps hanging on the walls. There are crates. Boscron is sitting behind a desk and he has an artifact of some kind. There's an echo inside of this tent that is insane. Like it sounds like they are in a cathedral it is so echoey inside of this tent. Like, is the sound editing team okay? Are they are they present and accounted for? Fire them. It's it's wild. But uh, Marco's very reluctant to use the Philosopher's Stones. And then there's this other soldier off to the side. He's a fit man in like his late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. He's got dark hair slicked back into a really tight ponytail and like golden yellow eyes. And he's filing his nails, and as he does this, he kind of mocks Marco and questions his loyalty to the Fuhrer. And then this soldier, like, stops and blows and admires his nails and smiles, and then he turns his hand around, and we see that he's got a tattoo on his palm, and it's got a circle, and inside the circle is a triangle, and inside the triangle is a crescent moon. The nail filing thing is really exaggerated, though. We do know who the soldier is. The soldier's name is Sulf Kimbley. Um, they don't give you his name in this episode, I don't believe. Uh, but don't, we do know who he is. I don't so. think they do. But yeah, he's he's probably important later. He's definitely important in the manga. Yeah. Um, Basgrand kind of snuffs out any protestation from Dr. Marco by saying that there have been tens of thousands of civilian casualties. Which, I, you know, I don't know a lot about war, but that, that seems like a lot. Except then you realize that if he's talking about Ishvalans, those aren't casualties. Those are combatants. Because they're trying to exterminate all of them. So they would so be classifying tens, them as combatants. Have tens of thousands of what we'll call white Amestrians Right, non-Ishvalan Amestrians. How bad are you at your job, dude? 
Yeah. <laughs> it's... I, I don't know. A Especially lot about since I, we have are, no other evidence of that beyond what they're telling right. us. This is what show don't tell is again, is if you're going to tell me something, you've got to show it to back it up. Yeah. Cause this should still be a society that's reeling from that. From the, right. Because think about like world war two, there's like a, a men, a shortage of men. Yeah. Right. Think about Pokemon red and blue version. Why do you think red doesn't have a dad? Look it up. Know. Look it up. Uh, I don't know. Because Basgrand is the commanding officer, Dr. Marco has to turn over the Philosopher's Stone. He takes out a small wooden case and he opens it and we see three Philosopher's Stones inside. They're in vials because they they're not strictly solid. They can be like, they can be kind of a very viscous liquid. They're a non-Newtonian fluid. Yes. Like cornstarch and water. <laughs> um. But we also see Baby Roy. He is, he is awestruck yeah just dumbstruck by these philosopher's stones he has the biggest eyes i've ever seen i don't mean they're wide i mean they are disproportionately large for his face it's hilarious they cannot get their proportions right roy roy mustang is like and the alchemist with the ponytail is like (laughs) (laughs) he literally like pulls back with his hands like they're like they're claws and hisses like he's like a vampire (laughs) it's like whoever in your like office or in your in your class or wherever you're listening to this the person that most makes you think of dwight Schrute, them doing the weirdest thing possible is how i would think of this i can't understand why there wasn't a moment where every other man in the tent was just like the fuck yeah dude are you are you good what's his alchemist name crimson alchemist it's very bizarre Mm -hmm. it's a very weird beat to play at all Right. But Boscon ultimately authorizes the use of alchemical augmenting agents or or philosopher's stones. Yeah. And that is our commercial break. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do a commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we have one now. Yeah, we do. Um, So if you guys like the show, if you guys want to help us make it, we definitely appreciate it. The URL is patreon.com forward slash diana langdon that is d-y-a-n-n-e-a-n-d-l-a-n-g-d-o-n and we also have an email address um and if you guys have issues with what we say and want to take it up with us and duke it out in the confines of gmail bring it yes uh you can do that at d-y-a-n-n-e-a-n-d-l-a-n-g-d-o-n at gmail.com we also have a Tumblr page, which you can find at D Y A N N E A N D L A N G D O N dot dot com. I think every episode we should just start spelling it wronger and wronger <laughs> and see what happens. Um, and that brings us back from our commercial break. So when we're back, we are in an alleyway where Marco is continuing with his tale. He he basically tells us that conflicts started ending overnight due to the philosopher's stone so we Mm -hmm. see a flash of roy mustang and he has a philosopher's stone on a ring on his finger and he snaps and like a whole city explodes yeah we see we see like this totally leveled city like totally turned into rock and rubble and we see kind of at the center of the shockwave alex lewis armstrong punching the ground and then we see boss grand and he's a big giant robot he's in his mech suit (laughs) all right 
Yay! Oh, and it's so wild up close. It's so it's, fucking oh, funny it's really up close. Weird. He's got like metal just embedded in his skull, like clown hair. Um, like he looks like like Doctor Wiley. <laughs> it's it's so funny. It's very strange. It's so um, funny. The the ponytail soldier has his philosopher's stone around a necklace, and you see him like maniacally doing, laughing. Yeah, you see him JoJo posing and maniacally laughing. He's reveling in this. It's, yeah, he's 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 a wacko. He's, his his alchemy is very explosive but, as well. But why is it different than? Because I I never understood this even when reading the manga. Yeah, How yeah. is it different than flame alchemy? Um. So. Mustang's alchemy is basically he expands the air molecules to so, to basically raise the temperature um, to combustion temp, which makes everything that the air is touching also raise to combustion temperature because that's how thermal equilibrium works. Mm-hmm. Um, and then things catch fire very oh, quickly okay. once they sense. reach temperature. It's the science of air and temperature. Um, and then there of is course. a whoosh and a bang because the fire is basically consuming very quickly and he has kind of created a vacuum with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't explode. They just burn very quickly. However, ponytail guy basically turn shit into explosives by literally shifting the atomic and molecular composition of the metallic particles and making what? it a different thing. So like he turns a rock into galignite or something. I don't know. Okay, it's actually different in the manga how he does what? it. Because in the manga, he actually destabilizes matter by creating an energy imbalance, which makes things go boom. Here this he is- literally turns it into blasting jelly. I I wish See, I were kidding about that, but that that's that's what happens. There's a trope that's like if you say science word, then science thing work. Yeah, like the flux capacitor. I feel like, but but you can also take it too far, where you try to analyze it a little too deeply, and people are just like, "You're making shit up." And oh, when, this if is you're this like, is explained by him though. So, it, but when you say that in the manga he destabilizes matter and creates an energy imbalance, I'm like. Okay, I'll buy it. But it, when you're like, he turns metal it's, it's, into other metal. He basically he creates a a he shifts electrons so that basically some particles in an object are positively charged and some are negatively charged, and they really want to balance, and so they try too quickly collide explosion. Science man make bomb. Science man make bomb. And the so so each alchemist basically gets their own scene is is the point of showing it that yeah. way. And Marco gets a scene as well, but because he does his alchemy doesn't. I, I don't believe doesn't really have any combat application. He's, he's and a he's a doctor. He's actually alchemist. a physician. Yeah. Yeah. He's not seeing the battlefield, but we do see him looking out over the ruins of a city and he is just devastated. I'm pretty sure he falls to his knees and he is, he is, I mean, it's, it's, it's the worst thing ever. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know another way to say it. Yeah. In the present, some soldiers find Scar and shoot at him and he runs. Um, and this triggers kind of a chain of events where the military goes after Scar, which is shown in this next scene. Uh, there's no dialogue, because I think they're playing music over it, or Marco's talking over it, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But it, it takes place in a hospital. We see Alex Lewis Armstrong recovering, though he looks pretty much fine. Uh, Roy Mustang and Reza Hawkeye are there. <laughs> they turn in perfect sync. It's like watching Yuri on ice. It's crazy. They, It's Beautiful. crazy. But they they turn... could skate for a mistress at the Olympics. They... They're brilliant. But they turn to salute Fuhrer Bradley, uh, who gives them some orders. Again, we don't see specifically what they are. Yeah. Um, but it is shown that he is attended by the woman that we've seen him with a couple episodes ago, who looks exactly like uh, the Elric brother's mom, who's dead. She's not dead. Their mom is dead. But she looks like their mom. 
Back in the alleyway with Marco, one of the kids who's playing soccer hurts his ankle and Dr. Marco heals it with a philosopher's stone. Dr. Marco tells the Elric brothers that while he was in Ishval, he met a couple of doctors on the battlefield, but they died. Hmm, wonder who these could be. So we get a flashback. Um, we see a dead couple, what, mm-hmm. like blonde-haired, Amestrian couple. They've been shot mm-hmm. many times. Their mm-hmm. bodies are lying on top of one another. And we see Roy Mustang holding a gun that is pointed at their dead forms, and he is crying and shaking. Right. And Bosgran tells us that these two doctors were in cahoots with the Ishvalan refugees, and so he ordered them to be killed. Um, these doctors have a framed photo. It's a very, like, tropey shot yeah, of, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the father's hand is on top of on top of a, a photograph and there's a blood stain that shows that his finger is kind of trailed down the glass and the Little glass is shattered yeah. and, and you see, though, just enough to make out the person who is in the photograph and it's Winry. These these are her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been they've been murdered by, by, by Mustang. Mustang. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> But then we get like a time skip um, and we see the same blood stain where they used to be and it's been cleaned up, but you can still kind of see the blood stain on the ground. Um, and Mustang is there and he just like kills a 40. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> the third thing he's killed today. <laughs> but okay. he kills, he, he, he finishes off um, a huge bottle of liquor and drops it on the ground and he stands over the blood stain. Mm -hmm. And in this moment of, I'm just going to read exactly (laughs) what we have here because like, I don't think there's a better way to say it. In a moment of drunken mania, he grabs his gun Mm -hmm. and aims under his chin with the intent to kill himself. But fortunately, Marco tells him, no, don't do it. You're so sexy. Ha ha. <laughs> that is an accurate summary of what happened. Uh, Marco basically creeps in behind him and is and says, no, don't. Yeah. Don't kill yourself. I, it's, we already told you. Uh, Mustang turns to Marco. Mustang looks worse and worse every time we see him this episode. Not like. Not like, like worse they and worse can't, drawn. Yeah. Like he looks a little worse for wear. Yeah. Yeah. And every time we see him, he looks more worse for wear. Um, yeah, he just looks sad. But he obviously feels that he needs some concrete act of penance because he asks Dr. Marco, what do I do? And Dr. Marco kind of gives him this very weak smile and says, would you let me run away? Like basically saying, you can find some form of penance if you let me exactly. desert. And don't and, tell anyone. And he takes the Philosopher's Stones and he leaves. Mm-hmm. And Roy Mustang is still alive in the present. Still drinking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the alleyway in the present he tells the Elric brothers that by the time he deserted the people of Ishval had already been exterminated and there were only a handful of survivors yep. and he feels that Scar's quest for revenge is legitimate and Edward disagrees with this but Alphonse does not which I think is really really interesting because he feels like if it had been Edward instead of because we know Scar's brother was killed as part of this conflict and Alphonse says if you had been killed I would want revenge. Isn't that equivalent exchange? And I was like, no, taking revenge will never get anything back. You need to live and find happiness. Which has been his kind of mantra yeah, through yeah, the yeah. whole show. Yeah, yeah. You Ever since Roy Mustang good told it to him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, In flashback. 
Edward goes up to Alphonse and he fixes Alphonse's arm, which is still damaged from their fight with Scar in the last episode. And then he asks if Dr. Marco wants to maybe hide in their hometown in Raisinbull. He says they know people there. There's an automail shop run by our friends, the Rockbells. And upon hearing that, Marco's like, oh my god, I can't go there. And then he and runs he, away. And then he runs away. The scene ends, and we come back to a scene where guns have been drawn on Scar. Right, so he's been, very specifically. Yes, so he's been, he's been cornered again. And he says it's foolishness to rely on weapons that have been enhanced by alchemy. But what are you talking about? Are these alchemy guns? They don't look like alchemy guns. I've they seen look, alchemy I've guns. I've seen an alchemy I gun. I saw an alchemy gun a few episodes ago. This doesn't look like an alchemy gun <laughs> exactly. to me. I can't see any evidence that they've been alchemically enhanced. Like They're just guns. Like, yeah. br- guns just work. The powder goes boom. That's the whole thing. You could make a gun with just a tube and a lead ball and a little bit of gunpowder and a match. And like you just (laughs) shove it all in there, light the match on the powder and the ball go like the powder goes boom and it pushes the ball out really fast. That's a gun. Kids, try it at home. (laughs) Don't. That's it. That's a gun. That's the whole thing. There's no alchemy involved. It's literally just physics yeah that's it yeah i i he's, don't know he's he's a fighter not a learner uh, <laughs> he's not a very smart man he starts to escape by using his alchemy to break up the ground underneath the firing squad mm-hmm. but as he turns to leave we hear a shot and we see that roy mustang is there and he's fired his pistol into the sky and hawkeye verbally identifies him as colonel mustang which catches scar's attention because scar knows who all the alchemists are Roy throws the gun at Hawkeye without looking, so it's a good thing that she caught it. There's some banter about Roy being the flame alchemist, and oh, aren't you scared of the flame alchemist? Scar is not scared. Scar begins to advance. Roy starts to snap so he can use flame alchemy. Hawkeye shouts, Paisa! And then she kicks out Roy Mustang's legs, tripping him, and she fires her gun and his gun at Scar. But she, she don't know how to hold a gun. She she's holding it at an angle, like where it's almost like, like kind th- of like sideways, a thirty degree angle. Yeah, but even so, okay. So like, I know it looks cool to have your guns angled in Hell action yeah, movies and shit, but if you actually try to do that in real life, you will hurt yourself and drop your gun. So if you're in like a combat situation, don't do it. Also, don't do it if you're in a safe situation like a shooting range. Just don't. You know, no, nobody have a gun. Just no guns, guys. No guns. Yeah, but we just told them how to make a gun. Shut up. Using <laughs> easy to acquire household objects. But then she tells Roy Mustang that he is useless or incompetent or impotent on rainy days. What's the actual word? Munon. Um, it, it basically means incompetent, but it could also be translated as impotent, which I like a lot because of I kind think, of yeah. the sexual undertone to it. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's, it's funny. It hurts his pride a little bit more, but it, it, because yeah. his pride is wounded. And he is a proud man. He is a very proud um, Scar escapes by creating a crack. He, dodges, he doesn't get shot. He yes. doesn't get hit by these shots. He escapes by creating a crack in the wall of a nearby building and using it to kind of climb up the building. He's getting shot at, but they all miss because he gets up there very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Mustang turns to Breda and Havoc and says, go to the train station. It's pretty obvious that Edward is going to try to get Marco out of town and the rest of us are going to go pursue Scar. 
The Elrics catch up to Marco, who, remember, ran away from them last scene instead of just keeping him with them and then Scar dropping in on them anyway, because that's exactly what happens next. Scar drops in on them. He basically touches the ground. He recognizes them immediately, obviously. And he goes straight for Marco, because Marco, to him, is the worst of the worst. Yeah, it makes sense. Alphonse interferes, but Scar's like, I know what you are now. And then he he explodes Alphonse. And it's actually really nice. Um, yeah, it looks really good. It looks really good. There's a good explosion and shattering of Alphonse's armor, where you mm-hmm. see little Lots bits of, of yeah. pieces in parallax just flying through the air. There are these huge horns that come in, and yeah. like the sound design here is actually nice. We've had some terrible sound design and some great sound design all in one episode. Amazing. It's it's funny because the show does so many does a lot of things right, and they hit a lot of they hit a lot of beats really really well. Uh huh. It's just overall it's such a mess. Yes. Sorry guys. Edward goes in to fight Scar. He fights very badly, which either means that the other Edward that we've been watching for the last fifteen episodes has been a lie, or Scar is just a terrifyingly good hand to hand combat fighter because Edward does not get close to him. He doesn't no. touch him. He whiffs on a bunch of attempts. And yes. Scar barely moves. Yeah. Scar is able to grab Edward's automail arm and explodes it. And we get another really, really nice shot of it. It is the same thing. Of Alphonse. Um, no, of, of, oh, of the arm of shattering. The arm shattering yeah. Yeah. Um, we do go to Alphonse, though, and he's screaming, like, get out of there. Run away. Yeah, get yeah, up. Yeah. Run away. Because he knows that Edward's Scar, about Scar, to die. Yeah, Scar can't really kill Alphonse. Right. But he can kill Edward. Yeah. Scar approaches Edward and says, I'll give you a moment to pray. And Edward's like, unfortunately, I've stopped believing in God. Yeah. Which, like, yeah, yeah that tracks with everything Sick, I know about. <laughs> um, but, but that is the correct line, really. Yeah, it is the like, correct line there. Uh, uh, Edward it says... It does feel good. I make yeah. fun of it. It feels good, though. <laughs> yeah. You make fun of it because he's like a little twerp. But yeah, I make fun of him because he's an twerp. ass. Yeah. And I really don't like this Edward. He's He's super. That's Arakawa's line, though. No, but this Edward himself, like okay. this Edward that they've given me over this series is a piece of shit and I don't <laughs> like him. So when he delivers these lines, I'm like, shut up. I can Whereas when Arakawa's Edward delivers them, I'm like, yeah. I can definitely see that. <laughs> um, Edward says that because Scar's brother was killed by a state alchemist, it will be totally Toka-Coka. Equivalent Scar, exchange. If Scar kills Edward. Which you might notice directly contradicts the thing that he said two fucking scenes ago. Thank God Alphonse is here and is like, dude, that directly contradicts the thing you said two fucking scenes ago. But Edward clarifies that if Scar kills Edward, Alphonse will live. And Scar agrees, Alphonse will live. Yeah, but he also says that Edward is wrong about equivalent exchange. And he's like, there's no exchange for the grief of losing one's brother and people which again edward actually agreed with like five whole minutes ago so everyone is on the same page here i don't know why we're having a debate over this it's time to kill edward and move on with this series we're gonna get to the real full metal alchemist alphonse let's go let's go you hand your producer the script and it's only 21 pages and he's like i need one more page and you're just like, ah, crap. <laughs> this, I guess, this we'll, have him, we'll have him waffle on his principles. <laughs> vicious. A vicious critique of the writing team. Um, Scar places his hand on Edward's head. Alphonse keeps screaming, run away. It's 
I really, really like this beat. This is like Alphonse, like really scared, but also well, really... he's not scared. He can't feel terror, Langdon. Fuck, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> um, but Alphonse, like, genuinely concerned. It's she does a really, really good job of even though, even though, as we've said so many times, her manga is hilarious. It's practically a comedy manga. Yeah. But when she plays a serious beat, and this is one of those, this is one of the most frightening beats in the manga, probably, yeah. is this one. And the, the the girl who plays Alphonse is amazing. Yeah, she's wonderful. She, she, I, I, she gets in it. Yeah, she's really, really good in this scene. She, she it's a really shows good up scene. Um, every day for work. I don't know. I just really like it. It's it's one of the scenes I think about when I think about Full Metal. Scars, tattoo, because he still has his hand on Edward's head, glows red, and he pulls it back, and he looks scared and confused. And we see Marco holding the Philosopher's Stone with both hands, like the way that you see cops hold guns in TV shows. And he's appearing to somehow control Scar's arm. Marco says that he recognizes Scar's tattoo. He has seen it in some of the research that he studied when he was in Ishval. And he knows something about it that Scar is like, don't say it. So, so something Scar doesn't want revealed. And then, and then, Scar advances <laughs> and Marco lobs the Philosopher's Stone at Scar. And the Philosopher's Stone hits the center of Scar's palm. And his hand absorbs the stone. Just like... (sighs) Slurps it right up in there. Like, it is crazy. And then he screams in pain. And we see a lot of red alchemy electricity. And he runs right into Reza Hawkeye and Roy Mustang and some droops with their guns drawn. Probably alchemy guns. (laughs) Conveniently, everybody has... Has met right here, right at yeah. the right for the climax of the episode and at then random. He opens a hole in the in the street and escapes down into the sewers. And that's that's it. That's the last we see of him. Yep. That that and that is the climax of the episode. That's it. As the smoke clears, we get our final beats for the episode. Mustang and Havoc are looking into the sewers, and Mustang's like, "Don't bother following him right now." And <laughs> Havoc's like, "I'm not. I wasn't gonna." I wasn't going to follow him in the sewers. Like, that's, uh, that's excellent Havoc. Yeah, that's how good. Havoc should be. It's just like, I'm literally just here to chain smoke and yeah. like not do my job. Yeah. <laughs> Maze Hughes arrives and Mustang scolds him for not arriving sooner. To which Hughes says, don't drag normal people into your freak show. Which I think is really yeah. fair. I mean, I wouldn't want to be in an alchemy fight. if I, I, I wouldn't bring a knife to an alchemy fight. Yeah. And I yeah. wouldn't bring a knife to an alchemy gun fight either. <laughs> uh, Mustang assigns Reza Hawkeye to crowd control, basically to protect the boys, really, because what they did to get Alphonse into the suit of armor is illegal. Yes. So they don't want people to know that there's a state alchemist with a dirty secret, right. obviously. Alphonse punches Edward because they're having the, <laughs> they're having kind of this moment just to themselves to really regroup, and the first thing he does is just punch him in the face, and he calls him stupid, and his he's really adamant with the same things he said before, which was just don't ever choose to die if you have the option, and he's like, I won't let you do it. He's furious. Which um, I don't know. Can he feel fear? If anyone is wondering why we're harping on whether or not Alphonse can feel terror or fury, it is because. There is an episode in which Alphonse explicitly tells us that he cannot feel fear. Mm-hmm. So anytime Alphonse feels an emotion, we're we're gonna call it out. Yeah, I really wonder if they're gonna if they're gonna double back on that. I when yeah, we, I think when they've the forgotten comes. it. <laughs> uh, uh, not double down, double back, contradict it. I think they've forgotten. Okay, great. 
That's what I like from my writing teams. Uh, the tension of this moment is broken when Alphonse's arm falls off. Because, again, he was he got exploded. And he's kind of cranky about it, but Edward sees the, 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 the humor in it. And he says kind of uh, morosely, we're falling apart, huh? We must look terrible. And so there's a lot of emotions in this scene, but they are happy to be alive. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think they're relieved to be out of danger. Yeah. Because, again, this is one of the few moments that's really dangerous for them. Right. Most of the time, they've outclassed their opponents. Yeah. Or I guess here they've, they've punched their opponents until they stop moving. Right. Alchemy causes problems, violence solving. Alex Lewis Armstrong sees that Alphonse is hollow, and he notes it. So this is new information to him. Right. Which Roy Mustang acknowledges. And then he says that Edward probably risked his life to bring Alphonse back. Like, probably. Probably? But you were there. You were literally there. You were there in the rain. You were there on the hill. You were there in your hat, okay? You yeah. what do you mean probably? You Pro- know firsthand what went down that night. Ridiculous. Sh- shut up. Uh, Hawkeye comes back and she tells Mustang that the Fuhrer's secretary has arrived and he's like the Fuhrer's secretary. Even though like he, he literally d- saw her earlier this episode and last episode when she came. Oh my <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I just, re- I just remembered last episode, but you're right. There's a whole scene. There's yeah, Yuri the whole on Ice. There's a bit where they're yeah. like, yeah, Yuri on Ice. She oh comes God. in with Bradley. Um, it, it, it's the Trisha clone that we were talking about. We'll call her the secretary. The secretary says that the Fuhrer is taking custody of Marco. She says that he will not come to any harm. And Marco does not fight this arrest. He tells Edward that the dead doctors were the rock bells. Dun, dun, dun. And then he gets in the car and we see the secretary talking to him. And then we see Alphonse and he's like, dude. I think I just heard mom's voice. And Everett's like, oh, Alphonse, you and your crazy near-death experience hallucinations. And, and then, then we get our outro. the episode's over. <laughs> it, it's a really, really, really weird episode. It, it's There's so much crammed into it, but I feel like nothing really happens. Maybe because a lot of it's spent doing backstory. But I, I feel like it's misplaced. So let's talk about takeaways, and let's let's start with why we call it Ishval instead of Ishbal, in case any in case there's any diehard O3 fans out there who are like, "What's going on?" Um, anybody watching on Netflix will see that it's called Ishbal Massacre, and I believe they say Ishbala, Ishbalin. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not really the best way to translate what it actually is, because they yeah. have the B sound in Japanese, and they can write the B sound, but that's not the way this word is written. No. So, there is no V in Japanese. Uh, when we write foreign words, we write in an al- in, a, in a script called katakana, and the V does not exist. There is a B, which is often used to show a, a V sound sometimes, and, and most of the time the V sound is pronounced as a B in Japanese, even when it's written in katakana. Um, this, however, is not written... It's not written ishubaru. It's written very differently. It's not written with a ba. It is written actually with a uh, an u with a ten ten, and then a small a. So what that is is basically the diphthong wa. It is not written with a ba. It's written with an wa, which is very specifically used in katakana to serve as a v, which is why we will say. Ishval, because it is more in line with the katakana, um, rather than Ishbal, which is in line with the technical pronunciation. Mm-hmm. So so we believe that basically Arakawa intended for it to be Ishval instead of right. Ishbal, because she wrote it Ishval. Right, and 
And I believe most later translations use Ishval. Yes. Uh, let's talk about the Doctor's rock bell and the and the photo of Winry. You, why is you wrote? I love this. Yes, I love how much I hate it. So basically, what this means is that Roy Mustang, when he killed the rock bells, he saw this photograph, and then when he went to go recruit Edward a few years later, Roy Mustang, Mister. I decided to test Edward Elric and put him on a train, Roy Mustang. Mr. I am Master Planner, Roy Mustang. Mr. I know everything and I'm smarter than everyone else on the show, Roy Mustang, went to Risenbull and he saw Edward and he met Granny Pinnacle and Winry, who was in the photograph. Pinnacle Rockbell and Winry Pinnacle Rockbell Rock Bell and Winry Rockbell. At Rockmail Automail Shop. At Rockbell Automail Shop and saw Winry, who was in the photograph, recalled murdering the Rockbell doctors and either said, huh, that's a weird coincidence that this girl looks exactly like the child of the doctors I murdered and also has their last name to boot. Or he said, I'm sure this will never matter. And I don't know which one is worse. So this isn't really a Doctor's Rockbell note at all, as much as it no, is a No, this is a, a fucking Roy note. Mustang note. And while we're on Roy Mustang, let's fucking go. Let's yeah. come for this man. I know we don't come for That's... any character quite as hard as we come for Roy Mustang. He's the one that they fuck up the most, because they have no idea what they're doing with this we, boy. Yeah, we come for Edward pretty hard, but I feel like most of the Edward scenes are pretty, like, unobjectionable in that they're just like, okay, it's, it's a shonen anime. But Mustang's normally complex, just not yeah. here. The, the, well, it's not even that he's complex here. It's that he's discordant with himself. He doesn't make any coherent sense. The things that they want me to think about them, right. they're not giving me to think about him. They're just telling me, think this thing about him. instead yes. of. And in fact, the things that they're telling me to think about him are in contradiction with the things that they are showing me. So it's and it's some of, Yes, some annoying. of the things they're showing us are... The not impressive. That, it, that's one way to say it. <laughs> Let's look at this scene where he puts his gun under his chin and is supposedly ooh, about to commit suicide. Ooh, 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 ooh. At this point, he's he's just killed these two doctors, these two doctors Rockbell. Before this, though, he has killed tens of thousands of brownish volans. Right. And he doesn't feel that he needs any... He, he doesn't feel anything, apparently, about that. Right. He, his, does, he does his, feel bad about it. He does it. feel bad, but, but his, breaking, his point, breaking point... Yes, his breaking point is not the thousands of brown people he's killed... It's the two white people he kills. That's the moment when he's like, I have gone too far now. Right. And and, and I'm very serious about this because they've made, they've made it clear that they are conscious of race because all the Leorans who are being persecuted and killed in the show right now are darker skinned, which is not necessarily true in the manga. Mm-hmm. And all the people in Ishval are darker skinned. Yes. He's killed tens of thousands of Ishvalans who are also Amestrians. Yes. So he's killed Amestrians before. He's probably he's, killed doctors he's before. Almost definitely killed doctors before. He's, he's killed, definitely killed parents before. He's killed infants before. The only thing that separates these two, the things that put him over his breaking point, you could say, oh well, they're on his side. But the other thing is, they're white. And the, that's when he reaches his breaking point and wants to commit suicide. The the thing that really drives this home though is again, this whole like narrative is supposed to be about the massacre of the Ishbalan people. And and that's what Mark that's why Marco is delivering this to us. So we understand the massacre of the Ishbalan people. Mm-hmm. And in this moment, our sympathy and catharsis doesn't fall in line with that. Our our yeah. empathy and and the catharsis doesn't come from the death of tens of thousands of brown people. It comes from the death of these two 
Amestrian white doctors. And so it completely derails right, the purpose of this narrative and makes you say, yeah, tens of thousands of people died and that was sad. But look, the rock bells died and that was terrible. You know, it's funny that you say that because I want to give these writers a lot of credit and look at it, at something like this and say, well, I can see how that would get through. Or that's really, you know, kind of a stretch to look at it in this certain way. But you're absolutely right in that they're showing it to you saying, I don't expect you to feel that this is a tragedy. I expect you to feel that these two people are the tragedy. Exactly. And that is so... That is really interesting. That's, that is that's fucked. It's absolutely that, should have been caught So it's something that I'm very aware of. So I'm more, <laughs> I'm more determined than ever that this is bad. It's something I'm very aware of as a Jewish person because there's a lot of Holocaust media that will do a lot of the same thing. Where like, yeah. like the boy in the striped pajamas, your catharsis doesn't come from the fact that all the Jews get gassed. It comes from the fact that this poor little SS baby boy gets gassed and we have to like go have our catharsis with his daddy who ordered the gassing of the Jews. Isn't that sad that the daddy lost his son? But like, or like there are other moments like that where you're just sitting there like, no, that that's not the tragedy here. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. If you're trying to tell me a, a, a story about a genocide, please direct the tragedy onto the victims of the genocide, the explicit societal victims who were persecuted by their government in this genocide. That is where my sympathy should be. That is where my catharsis should be. And it's not there here. It is with basically people who come from and represent the establishment, who yeah. represent the majority and not the persecuted minority. It's interesting too, because he doesn't kill them in the manga. I think Scar kills them in yes, the manga. Yes, Scar kills them in the manga because he yeah. wakes up and, and is confused and lost and he just goes on a rampage and kills people. So that says to me that they looked at the whole Ishvalan conflict and said, yeah, but why would Roy want to leave? <laughs> but... Yeah, it's it's bad, guys. So just to be clear, um, when we talk in this section, when we've been saying white and brown, we are using these terms because that is what the visual narrative presents us. Amestrians and, and the rock bells in particular look pretty Aryan, um, and Ishvalans have pretty dark skin. So, But I want to acknowledge that the people who wrote and animated this episode are not white. They are Japanese. Uh, but when we talk about these words, white and brown, it's very much within the context of this narrative, which is allegorical for genocide worldwide, including genocide against indigenous peoples in Japan. When, when we talk about genocide worldwide, it obviously doesn't come down to white people and everyone else. It comes down to majority and minority the majority others and then attempts to wipe out the minority we want to and we want to acknowledge that the writers and animators are japanese because their nation's history with genocide of minorities doesn't look like white people killing brown people but japan does have a history of genocide against indigenous minorities uh, of uh, this history of the majority othering and attempting to wipe out that minority uh, we don't I, we don't mean to try to like equate this perspective to the Western perspective when we talk about how the narrative attempts to direct our horror and catharsis onto the deaths of two white people and not the deaths of tens of thousands of brown people. Uh, we are trying to talk about this universal idea of majority violence against the minority, but within the visual context of this show. Um. So, but anyway, they, ACAB, 
A cab. Um, so what this tells me is that these writers, they're very concerned with exploring race and racism, but they're not concerned. They have no desire to or ability to maybe to say, yeah. explore how racism, their own racism affects their writing. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I won't go so far as to call them racist. Why? I don't Because I don't think that they are. I just think that they're very unqualified to talk about it. They're, 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 maybe. I don't know. They're very unconcerned with exploring how systemic racism and how racial, racial issues impact their own writing and their own yeah. storytelling. They're, yes, they're, they're certainly unaware of their own bias. Yes, they certainly are. Oh my gosh. This is also very notably different from manga Roy Mustang, mm-hmm. um, who actually feels after Ishval, that he's beyond redemption. The second that he kind of slows down and is able to take in Ishval, it, he just co- immediately comes to the conclusion that, like, uh, killing myself's not going to do anything, and there is no redemption. There is no, like, I can't get forgiveness for this. The only thing I can do is make sure that this never happens again. And so mm-hmm. he no longer views, he doesn't think, he doesn't want absolution. He doesn't think he can it, achieve any yeah, forgiveness. Yeah, it's not possible. He, he feels in that moment in the manga that his life is really not his own anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a resource at this point. It is a resource for the furtherance of a goal. It is a resource that is meant to be spent and he is going to spend it on furthering this goal of making sure that a genocide never happens. It's no longer yeah. lived for himself. It is lived for something outside yeah, of himself. He, and it's it's a huge character shift for him. Um, but it is it it's it's something that is, I think, important, where he's not driven by this, okay, I need to be forgiven so that I can have my own catharsis and have my own forgiveness and be happy eventually. It's I need to do yeah, this because yeah. I need to do this. Yeah. Like uh, it's so simple. It's just I, I have to do it. I think yeah. He's a very uh, selfish person, and it's interesting because this is a very unselfish motivation this is the roy mustang podcast damn straight send us your roy mustang fan art so let's talk about the useless in the rain scene (laughs) everybody knows the scene yes why can't this show be funny i don't know in brotherhood that brotherhood i would say has the best adaptation of this scene which is rare that we say anything but the manga has the best adaptation of something because it's it's played very funny and Scar and Mustang end up very close. And by the time Mustang trips and is going under Scar, Scar is going over Mustang. Mm-hmm. And they have this very funny moment where they're like nose to nose, but neither of them's really sure what the fuck just happened. <laughs> Diane wrote, and Hawkeye knows how to hold a gun. Yeah, because she holds them straight. But by playing that comedic beat there, it makes Hawkeye's joke land better because your palate is prepped for it. Mm-hmm. So when she says, you're useless in the rain, and he's like, wah. You're already primed to laugh, so it's even funnier. Yeah. In the manga, and I didn't remember it this way, because I thought it was pretty funny when I read the manga, but I guess it, I was wrong. It's still it's, funny, but it's... It is, it is funny, but it's still it's played pretty straight, but it's a light beat. It's not... Yeah, you, you never not, actually believe Mustang's in danger. It's not played so straight like this one is. This one is played very, very straight, and it's obviously delivered as a punchline, because Mustang's reaction is like... Mm-hmm. But there's no stakes, so there's no real tension, and there's nothing to really, like, attach to. Even when they fight, they don't even get very close to each other. So there's no release of tension the way there is in the manga, and there's no, uh, like, double punch on the joke the way that there is in Brotherhood. There's just nothing. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's an iconic scene, but to me, it falls totally flat. And I realize I'm biased because I've seen it done better two yeah. different ways. Um, 
<laughs> I don't even want to talk about this one. Scar's magic hand. What? Ha- wh- so the Philosopher's if- Stone makes his alchemy uh- not work. And then his hand absorbs the stone. So why, after his hand has absorbed the stone and he is in pain, can he still do alchemy, which the stone kind of nulls his ability to do, uh, why is he still able to do it that time that he busts a whole hole, uh, a hole open in the ground? What did the stone do exactly? Why is it? What the thing make the do? I don't. I don't All know. To say, what? what are the rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? I am getting so sick. I know you are too because we talked about it. Yeah. I am getting so sick of the magic system being able to change. Literally every episode. The thing is, you promised me alchemy, and you're like, alchemy has rules. What the fuck are they? Because I've yet to see equivalent exchange, like, consistently obeyed. I don't know what the fuck is going on here with Philosopher's Stones. I don't know what things are able to do. And so, therefore, if you try to sell me and be like, I have a hard magic system... No, you don't, bitch. Yeah. It's so hard to, to be genuinely, like, excited about a solution... That's made through a magic system with seemingly infinite possibilities. Yeah. Whereas having a more strictly bounded system gives you limitations on how you're able to solve problems. Okay, so we're going to talk really quickly about continuity. So, um, here's the thing. There's a lot of continuity issues in this show. Namely, something like Alphonse being like, I can't feel terror. And then, like, feeling terror a bunch of times afterwards. Yeah. Like, you can't tell me he can't feel emotions and then have him be emotional. I'm sorry. Sometimes even in between episodes. Right. I'm sorry. sorry, Sometimes even inside of episodes, there's continuity hiccups. Right. It's it's bizarre. Uh, Like, Edward being like, I don't think that's equivalent exchange. And then five minutes later being like, no, that's equivalent exchange. Um, So. (laughs) No, I I see it Or we get it from episode to episode. Like where we left off last episode is not where we pick up this time. We left off when it was sunny. We pick up where it's rainy. We left off in a provincial area. Now we're in a moderately urban area. We left off feeling safe-ish. And we pick up running we left off in a ground level alleyway we pick up in an underground tunnel sewer thing i i feel like like the directors don't talk to each other yeah like like the person who directed this episode didn't talk to the person who directed the previous episode so they just got the script that says like they're fighting in like a tunnel and he's like oh a tunnel underground but like if you're going to have a system where your teams change each episode they need to talk to each other or else you're going to run into issues like this of continuity where people mm. are just going to be like, where are we? Right. What are we doing? So, like, there are some excellent paragons of continuity. If you Paragons. If you, yes. Like, Adventure Time has excellent continuity. Yeah. Uh, there is a YouTube show called Batman Piderman, which has incredible continuity. I can't argue. It's very small in scope, but I can't argue with that. If something breaks in episode one, it's still broken in episode two. And you know who else writes amazing continuity? Who? Arakawa. <laughs> Oops. Uh, I, yeah, I really wow. Yeah, I really don't know how this team Fucked doinks this up, up so, so hard bad. every episode. Um, and then in the final scene, there is a beat that, that I love. seems... To have just been missed by and the I people writing. I don't know why. The scene happens very early in the manga. So like before they started writing this show, before they even pitched it to her, they they were, this scene had already happened. And so it's 
immediately after the first fight with Scar, which happens very early in the manga again, and the boys, while they're having this recovery moment of, oh, wow, we survived, Mustang and Hawkeye go and do some crowd control, do some damage control, and then they come over and they just be parents for a second. And, like, Hawkeye takes off her jacket and she puts it around Edward and she just holds him there for a moment because she's a caretaker. She sees an abandoned boy and she's like, I'm going to take care of it. She sees an abandoned puppy and she's like, I'm going to take care of it. She sees an incompetent, dumbass, military, sexy man. She's like, I'm going to take care of it. She has a deadbeat, asshole father on his deathbed. She's like, I'm going to take care of it. Like, she loves... she takes care of people. It's, it's, just, it's what she does. And then Mustang's also there. He's less physical, but like he's there. He loves them. Havoc's also there. He loves them. It's just really good. Um, but it's not here. And it makes me really sad because it's this beautiful beat that plays into one of the major themes of Full Metal of mm-hmm. found family. Yeah. And in so. love. Just just love. Uh there's not a lot of romance in Full Metal Alchemist, or if there is, it, it's not plot heavy. It's, I wouldn't say there's it's even kind a of lot. layered into characters yeah. just to kind of give them depth. That's why it exists not, there. Yeah. I mean, but, the, I mean, it's it's funny to me when people hardship Edward and Winry, and I'm like, there's really not a ton of like romantic development there. Yeah. So it's always interesting to me when people are just like, nope, that's me, that's me. Right, but like it's it's done very layered and very well to give right. these characters depth and to give them humanity and, and it works it's and it because, works because and that's their I think why not, the yeah. ships are so are like so well loved right. because there's no drama they feel so real and they just feel grounded in reality yeah. they're people who actually love each other yeah it's just people loving each other it's it's wonderful it's well, it, yeah this show just feels very devoid of those things and it's it's a, it's a weak episode overall. Sorry, guys. <laughs> just because it's it's just too much. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of love in this show whatsoever. As we made a point earlier that they called the reboot Brotherhood. Yeah. Seemingly because this show is so devoid <laughs> of feelings of brotherhood. Yeah. And when you talk about like those being the most important themes and this show not having them, that's pretty bad. And I would say love is the most important theme in Full Metal. Love is the thing that they come back at the very end and the... the thesis statement of full metal alchemist is you can give you can always give love you can mm-hmm. get 10 and give back 11 right. like there is no equivalent exchange with love because you can just keep giving it and you're gonna go through trials and you'll come out with a full metal heart and yeah. it's it's about the but heart the it's love about thing. love love yeah, yeah get 10 give 11 love is the only thing that lets you break equivalent exchange in that way right uh and and not having these family themes, yeah, because the family themes are important too. Right. It's especially Mustang as their dad because Mustang their is their dad. dad. Must I mean, he's not their father. He's their dad. The way that he and Ever <laughs> that talk is such a funny twist. That's how, oh, <laughs> uh, that's how you talk to your dad. Like, and that's also how a dad talks to his son. Like Ever being like, "I'm right," and Mustang, "No, you're wrong. You're a piece of shit, and you're grounded." Like that. That's just how. That that's how you talk with your dad. Like. But without having those beats here, it makes me wonder if when we see their real dad show up later, if their beats with him aren't really going to hit the same way. Right, yeah. Because a lot then they of, just won't have any fathers. A lot of what we have in Full Metal is Edward doesn't need his father. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, first he has Mustang, but also he's very independent and grown up. And like, right. he doesn't need his father because he has a found family. He's created yes. a family. And, and Granny Penico and Winry and Alphonse in Mustang's whole unit, like... Alphonse wants their father more than Edward does because yeah. Alphonse Does, missed out on remember. childhood. Yeah. 
Alphonse didn't have a childhood. Like, he was a baby when he got thrown into a suit of armor. And he misses that. <laughs> thrown what into a suit of armor? His soul. Uh, His soul got thrown into a suit of armor. That's pretty much it for this episode. Just kind of a... Especially knowing two episodes ago, we were living it up in animation quality and just having fun with the show. Yeah. To see how far we've fallen from two episodes, it's it's very disheartening. And it's funny to me because I feel like if you put all the Dr. Marco stuff in the first episode, cut like cut the first 10 minutes of that episode, start with them at Marco's door. Yeah, being like, oh, this is the address, knock, yes. knock, bang of the gun. Then put all of Scar. Scar shows up at the end of that episode and kills Boss Grand, cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Put all the Scar stuff in this episode. And give yourself an opportunity to tell some of the Ishval flashback from Scar's perspective. Yeah, that would be fun. I think that would be a much better way to handle these two episodes. Anyways, next time on Diane and Langdon, we're going to watch the 16th episode. It is called That Which is Lost. The preview doesn't really give us too, too much, but we see Lust attacking Marco. We see something about a library. And we see a girl holding what looks like an auto male leg. Next time on... Diane and Langdon. Is that is that it? Is that a closer? <laughs>